Hello everyone and welcome to another episode if you could hide to collab. Clive, we're up to episode 7 of the Book of Mormon this year. Time is absolutely flying by. How are you this evening? Yeah, doing great. Pretty excited for these. There's only three chapters. Again, it's quite small. You know, we've gone 5-5 five, five for, you know, the beginning of the year and then it went down to 2. Now it's 3. It's probably because there's so much, you know, to get through. It's hard to condense it all down to one lesson. And spoiler alert, we're going to cover Lehi's death today. So it's almost like someone that we've been learning from and living alongside someone for so long. And now we talk about essentially he's gone and there's this great split of Lamanites and Nephites. So this, the, this lesson today is really a big turning point in the history of the scriptures, right? Yeah, well, that's right. That's exactly right. It, it's, I feel like a main character's died and it affects the whole story from here. Well, um, I'm just going to start off with that quote today. I've actually got a little bit of a story. And this is from the Standard of Truth, the Latter-day History books that the church put out called Saints. And it's a it's a, a very, very small story, actually. It's about, it's essentially got four, four people in this story, a lady called Elizabeth Marsh, who is a new a convert, you could, you could say, a convert who was baptized and confirmed, a, a traveling preacher, a, a lady 35 years old called Nancy Towle or Towley, and William Phelps, of course, and, and Joseph Smith. So Nancy, she is welcomed into the home of Elizabeth, and they, they meet the prophet, and Nancy, from all accounts here, is usually quiet on the subject of religions, and other people's religions can kind of keep themselves themselves. They're at a meeting, and William Phelps says to Nancy, you shall not be saved unless you believe that book. And Nancy glares at William and says, if I had that book, sir, I would burn it. So Nancy's pretty frustrated that William would say something like this to her. She approaches Joseph Smith, and when she does so, Elizabeth turns to her and gives a testimony. She says, no sooner his hands fell upon my head, then I felt the Holy Ghost as warm water go over me. And Elizabeth is recounting when Joseph Smith confirmed her a member of the church. Anyway, Nancy got so offended by this Elizabeth who was kind of a friend and had taken her in after, she, after this whole uh, kerfuffle had taken place. And Elizabeth, um, so Elizabeth said this and Nancy then says, look, looks at Joseph and says, are you not ashamed of such pretensions? You who are no more than an ignorant plowboy of our land. Joseph turns around to Nancy and he says, the gift has returned back again as in former times to illiterate fishermen. Thought that was a cool story from Joseph Smith that he can just be a, an ignorant plowboy. That's okay. He doesn't need to be educated. Just like the apostles of old. Pick up your nets and come follow me. The time has come for those people. And the time has come for Joseph, who fits the bill. He's an uneducated boy growing up to be a man and is able to welcome in the restoration of the gospel. So I thought that was a bit of a bit of a cool story to start off with, Clive. That is a cool story. I mean, it just shows, you know, Joseph Smith wasn't a king. He wasn't a rich man. He was simple. Yeah, that was a great story. That was really good. Mm. Quick on Joseph's 
feet there. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I imagine that Nancy must have been a little bit frustrated. <laughs> but anyway, a good story comes out of it. So we're on chapter three of Second Nephi. So I thought, Clive, I would just start with a little bit of context and, and just remind us and remind everyone who's listening where we're up to. And we've essentially got Nephi and Lehi and they're preaching to the family. Lehi and Nephi both say that they're teaching from the plates. And we've got chapter one, which is Laban and Lemuel. Ishmael gets a mention, Zoram gets a mention, and then we talked about the great chapter, chapter two, where he's teaching with Jacob, and now we see chapter three, he's on to Joseph. And so this teaching session, I think, is up to five chapters long so far, and I don't know if it was the same night, perhaps it was, maybe it was over a couple of days, but it certainly wasn't over weeks and months, right? Yeah, well, that's how I see it. I feel like He's taken as much time as he needed to say everything he needs to say to one of his sons. Then he goes to the next son, takes as much time as he needed. But yeah, I couldn't imagine there being huge breaks in the middle, because especially because Lehi says, I'm old, I'm going to die soon. And then, you know, he sort of gives his final testimonies and blessings to his sons. Right. So going into chapter three, the first thing I wanted to raise with you is something that caught my attention was the end of verse one. So he says, I'm speaking to Joseph, who is his last born, so his youngest son. He, he was born in the wilderness, but he says something interesting here. Yea, in the days of my greatest sorrow, did thy mother bear thee? I thought that was an interesting point I wanted to throw to you and just see what you thought about that. In the days of my greatest sorrow. Lehi's been through a lot, like the boat and Nephi being tied up for quite a while they leave their land his occupation the greatest sorrow is the time in the wilderness that's the greatest sorrow so that must have been quite significant they were there for a while weren't they they were in the wilderness for quite a number of years before they were before they got to bountiful well yeah that's right i mean i feel like it's all of it it's from when they left jerusalem because we know that joseph and jacob were born only a couple of years after they left jerusalem and then between that point and where they're up to now, I guess it would have been hard for Lehi because before they left, you know, Lehi was a rich man. One socially. Of these, Social, so, quite high up socially, I'd imagine. Oh, of course. Most definitely, yeah. He was a Bedouin Arab that they're a traveler, but they're also welcomed at the king's table. You know, they're, they're really high up there. So after he left everything, it was a real big struggle. Plus, he had two children, at least two children that we know of in the wilderness. Tough yeah. times. And like you said, the boat, that was definitely would have been a hard time for them. All those things. And he was really old. So do you think the greatest in the days of my greatest sorrow is kind of from point A is leaving Jerusalem and point B is getting to the promised land? Definitely physically, spiritually. I'm sure he would have grown a lot stronger spiritually, but I feel like he's more talking physically here in a physical sense. Stressed. Been exactly. Very stressed. stressful. Not just for him, for his wife, for their children, for everyone involved. Mm. Yeah. 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 Really, really good point. Good point. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably more of a long period of time as opposed to one or two events. Like the whole thing's just a real nightmare. Oh, for sure. Do, what, what, what do you want to take us through? There's a couple of things I've got here, but what, what do you want to take us through? Well, I just wanted to talk about verse 2. So he's now giving Joseph his, like we said, his testimony, his blessing. 
And he talks about here that the Lord has consecrated this land for Joseph and his seed. So this land, this promised land, it's for you and it's for your seed. But then he gives a little caveat there at the end and he says, if you keep the commandments, if it so be that you shall keep the commandments of the Holy One of Israel. And I thought that was really interesting. This is for you, but you must keep the commandments. I thought that was really good in a way that this is sort of your inheritance. This is the things that is for you continue on the path that you're on and continue to keep the commandments yeah no that's that is interesting because i'm just quickly skimming here chapter two i don't really promising does it yeah that's what i'm thinking so it's it's an, a very interesting point he says this to joseph because he says and may the lord consecrate also unto thee this land so the consecration of the land is to essentially anyone who's righteous but i wonder if he felt that joseph was a little bit on the fence because essentially the land is consecrated for the righteous. We know that, but he's not sure. He hasn't, he's not sure if he hits a home run here with Joseph because he, yeah, he does leave that caveat in the end. If, if it so be that you shall keep the commandments. It's interesting as well, because we've talked about this before, how Lehi saw what's going to happen to Laman and Lemuel. And so he probably saw the things that's going to happen with the Lamanite because right. he then talks about the next thing he says now Joseph my last born that he says that thy seed shall not utterly be destroyed and we learn that in Jacob that there's Josephites Jacobites but everyone who is the people of Nephi will just call Nephites right. so there's Joseph's seed who would be Josephites but there his seed will never be destroyed and I wonder if Lehi saw that your seed will never be destroyed, but at some stage, you, you you know, your family will turn to the Lamanite side. Some of the Josephites will become Lamanites. And I wonder right. if that's sort of the idea he's saying, as long as you keep the commandments, you will. But I know that, you know, what I've seen in vision is that you, your seed could possibly go off in another direction. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, there's certainly the doors left open there, and it's almost like a stark warning because where they are in the country, in the promised land, they're only, they're kind of just getting set up. So it's very possible that Joseph has is aware of what Lehi has said to Jacob and has taken him through this atonement lesson and given him so much. But now with Joseph, he's kind of not, he's not, he's not done that. And he doesn't do that. He, he goes in a different angle. We talk about Joseph of Egypt in a minute. Yeah, he definitely leaves that door open for Joseph as a bit of a warning. Moving on from here, we then get a change, right? So we then get a history lesson from Lehi who talks about Joseph of Egypt. We talked about before that um, Lehi, he teaches from the brass plates that he has, and he discovered from that that he is a descendant of Joseph of Egypt. We find out that he's a descendant through the Manasseh side of Joseph, but we don't find that out till Alma, so spoiler alert for Alma. <laughs> he's, he's reading that, but it's interesting because the from here, from verse 4 and most of the way through, the promises and the blessings that he is reading from the brass plates aren't in the Bible, but they are in the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 50. So it's interesting there that we know that the Bible has been changed through the years to fit, you know, other people's religious sects. So this is the original, and this is the promises and the blessings and the revelations about Joseph of Egypt and his posterity. So I think it's interesting from here that that's the 
that's sort of the the route that we're looking at there. So then he then talks about Joseph Smith in in 14 and 15 and thus prophesied Joseph saying behold that sea will the Lord bless and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded for this promise which I have obtained of the Lord of the fruit of my loins shall be fulfilled behold I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise. So really Clive what he's saying here is and he says so and his name shall be called after me so his name needs to be Joseph and he shall be after the name of his father. So his father's name needs to be Joseph. So this is that link to Joseph Smith. And there's a little bit more here in the next couple of verses where he's likened to Moses. Yeah, that's right. It's actually interesting because before this, he sort of, I feel like with Joseph Smith translating it, he might start to think, I wonder if it's me. Because between verse six and seven, he says that he'll be, out of the lineage of Joseph of Egypt will come, be, will come a seer. And Joseph finds out in Doctrine and Covenants that he is of the lineage of Abraham. And Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac's son was Jacob. And Jacob's son was Joseph. So sort of it's dancing around there. But then, like his, as you said, he starts comparing this seer that's going to come out to Moses. And he talks about it from verse 9 to 11, that Moses freed his people from Egypt. And then he says in verse 11, but a seer will I raise up from the fruit of my loins unto him will I give power to bring forth my word. So he's saying that Moses freed his people from, you know, from bondage. But Joseph, this this seer that we're talking about, will free this the people. This new Joseph. This new Joseph, exactly. Whoever it may be. And Joseph Smith at the time, I wonder if he was sort of thinking, could this be me? This new Joseph will free people from this spiritual darkness, spiritual turmoil, and bring forth... Spiritual captivity. Exactly. The spiritual captivity, which you've talked about before, you know, and bring people out of this great apostasy and into the last dispensation. Yeah, really interesting. Really, really interesting. I, I imagine, you know, how was Joseph when he when he was translating this, and a lot of this book, but perhaps at that point he was just so spiritually in tune that he was well aware of what's going on. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. It would have been interesting, you know, to be a fly on the wall at that point, Joseph sort of reading it. Because there's been a couple of moments now where we've talked about how Joseph could be reading it going, this part's about me, me coming forth. We've talked about that in First Nephi. So now again in Second Nephi, I wonder if Joseph's reading it going, oh, it's talking about me again. Because, you know, Joseph Smith, he brought, he's bringing forth the last dispensation. This is the time the second coming is going to come. It's so important that it's written all through the scriptures, you know, in the original brass plates. Joseph of Egypt talked about the coming forth of Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. They talk about the coming forth of Joseph Smith. You know, it's a crucial part of our history. Mm. So, Clive, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot more here. But we don't have all the time in the world, but essentially, towards the end of chapter uh, three, Lehi wraps this up, and he says, "Wherefore, because of this covenant, thou art blessed; for thy seed shall not be destroyed, for they shall hearken unto the words of the book." And he says, and there shall rise up one mighty among them who shall do much good. And he says, which is a little bit interesting here in verse 25. And now behold, blessed art thou, Joseph. Behold, thou art little. Well, that was an interesting describing word. Wherefore, hearken unto the words of thy brother Nephi, and it shall be done unto thee, even according to the words which I have spoken. Remember the words of a dying father. Amen. It's it's quite interesting there how he wraps this up and he's very specific. Like Nephi is going to lead this. You you need to be able to listen to him and hearken unto his words. It, it's interesting that he says he's, he's 
he's small. He's obviously very young of age and perhaps impressionable. Yeah. And then to end it with, remember the words of thy dying father, it's really going, you know, I feel like that's a, really a strong point for Lehi to make. My last thing that I want to say to you is this, I'm dying. You know, that, that sort of yeah. thing going, this yeah. is listen it. This to, is, listen, this is it. Yeah. Listen to this last bit. It's, you need to now move on and learn from Nephi because you're not going to be able to learn from me anymore. So chapter four is slightly, it's the same, but different. And that is because Lehi now turns to his grandchildren. It just shows, obviously, the character of Lehi and how much this family unit means to him. In verse 3, so chapter 4, verse 3, Wherefore, after my father had made an end of speaking concerning the prophecies of Joseph, he called the children of Laman, his sons and his daughters, and he says... Behold, my sons and daughters, who are the sons and the daughters of my firstborn, I would that ye should give ear unto my words. And this next part is, these words, you know, we've heard this crying from the dust terminology quite a bit, but what Lehi's talking about here and how he words, this, and how Nephi writes the record is really, it's quite incredible. So I'll read this out. For the Lord God hath said, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. And inasmuch as ye shall not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. So the first thing he teaches Laman's sons and daughters is you need to keep the commandments. And if you do keep the commandments, the promise is that you will prosper in this new land that we're in. And if you don't, you're going to be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And I imagine Lehi wouldn't have just said that. He might have said more... And he might have testified of how comforting the Lord's been to him. And being cut off from the presence of the Lord is the worst scenario possible. And then he goes into verse 5. But behold, my sons and my daughters, I cannot go down to my grave, save I should leave you a blessing upon you. This is really important. If ye are brought up in the way you should go, you will not depart from it. So Lehi's saying, how you're going to be raised from your father, that's just how you're going to be. You don't know any different. And you're going to be impressioned by your father and that's just how you're going to grow up. But he leaves a blessing. Wherefore, if ye are cursed, I leave my blessing upon you that the cursing may be taken from you and be answered upon the heads of your parents. So he's saying to his grandkids, I know you're being raised the wrong way. And I know that you're going to grow up in the wrong way. And I'm going to leave you a warning that if you follow the commandments, you're going to prosper. But you're probably not going to follow the commandments because of how you've been raised, but you're an innocent child. You're, you're very, you know, you're very, very young. You're an innocent grandchild and it's not your fault that you were raised that way. And if you're going to be cursed, actually, I'm going to bless you because I love you so much. The cursing's not going to be on you. It's going to be on my firstborn who I've tried so hard to course correct his path. Yeah. I thought it was really, really interesting. I do think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that Lehi, he puts it out there basically saying, if the parents don't teach their children right, it's the parents that did the wrong thing. If you teach your kids to do the right thing and they go down the wrong way, well, then that's on them. But if you teach them the wrong way and they go the wrong way, it's on your head. You are the one that should be punished for it, not your children. I think that's a really right. strong word there. You know, I've had that highlighted for a long time, even before I had kids. And I'd written on my side here, teach your kids. 
I think it's a very, very important lesson there from Lehi. Yeah, okay. He does He does say that the Lord God will not suffer that ye shall perish, wherefore he will be merciful unto you and unto your seed forever. So really interesting. Then he goes on and he does the same thing with Laman's kids. And he, and he says, you know, I'm going to uh, I'll leave unto you the same same blessing, essentially, that you're, thou shalt not be utterly destroyed, but in the end thy seed will be blessed. In the end thy seed will be blessed. Well, what's the end? The end is that the Book of Mormon goes forth to the Lamanites. You'll recall that the first group of missionaries that Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith sent out was to send the Book of Mormon to the Lamanites. Yeah, so fulfilling prophecy straight away. So he talks to Ishmael, the sons of Ishmael as well, and then he talks to Sam. And we only get a really small bit of Sam. Blessed art thou and thy seed, for thou shalt inherit the land like unto thy brother Nephi, and thy seed shall be numbered with the, with his seed, and thou shalt be even like unto thy brother, and thy seed shall be shall like unto his seed, and thou shalt be blessed in all thy days. I wonder if Sam hadn't had kids yet, maybe. Because he's not saying, mm. Sam, bring your kids here and I'll bless them. He's saying, you and your seed will be blessed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. unless we're just missing some stuff. I mean, again, yeah. the Book of Mormon was abridged. Now we get to verse 12, and I'll read this verse out. So just bear in mind that he's now, Nephi and Lehi have now taught their whole family. Everyone's Everyone's got a bit. Zoram's got a bit. Every single person in that household has got a bit. The last he does is speak with his grandchildren and then a little bit to, to Sam and, and, this, and the sons of Ishmael as well. But he kind of leaves those, those bits, bits and pieces. And it came to pass after my father Lehi had spoken unto all his household, according to the feelings of his heart and the spirit of the Lord, which was in him, he waxed old. And it came to pass that he died and was buried. You know, it doesn't talk about Nephi's mum dying, but I I presume she's dead by now because of straight away, Laman and Lemuel. They sort of start going the other way. And I feel like if Sariah was alive at this point, it wouldn't be so sudden for Laman and Lemuel. Well, it, I mean, hey, I've never thought about that before. But you're right, the very, very next verse we see this huge split happen. Came to pass that not many days, literally days, not many days after his death, Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael were angry with me because of the admonitions of the Lord. And I've got I've got written in my scriptures, Clive, here, Nephi's personality in this next section, which I thought, which I wanted to raise with you. And I've got some lines drawn here. But essentially from verse 16 all the way to the end of chapter 4 so right up to verse 35 is nephi having a self-reflective moment he really sort of goes hard on himself he recognizes sins that he's had he says "O wretched man man that i am yea my heart sorroweth because of my flesh my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities i am encompassed about because of the temptation and the sins which do easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. I get the impression that his father, his his best friend in the gospel, has now passed away. And he is doing some true self-reflection. He's really looking at himself. And I've got this down as a, a part of his personality. We get a glimpse into the personality of Nephi. 
Yeah, I see. I see this part, and I read it, and I think if this was anyone else, this would be the part where they snap. After everything that's happened, now the brothers are even more angry after Lehi's died. This would be the breaking point for a lot of people, where they just go, "Oh my goodness, this is it. I can't take it anymore." But Nephi has put this in on himself, and this is sort of the his inward impression that he's writing down. He doesn't snap at his brothers. But this is, yeah, like you said, this is his personality. He's giving it all in-house. And he's talking about not what else can I do, but I've, you know, I have done all these things and I weep and my heart weeps. It really shows who he is. Yeah, so he has these, he has sort of four or five verses that's reflective on his sins. And then he has another four or five verses where he talks about how God has been a support to him. My God hath been... My support, he hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. And he talks about this, he he hath done this. Behold, he hath heard my cry, and by day I have waxed, bold and mighty prayer. And upon his wings, he says, so much stuff has been in support, so he he now is truly recognizing God's support. Yea, even too great for man, therefore I was bidden that I should not write them. He saw things that were so amazing that he was told he can't write them down. So he has he has these these almost these three sections really, the self-reflective I'm a sinful man, but hang on a second the Lord has really supported me, and then this final part recognition which I, which I've called recognition and joy I've got joy written down in my scriptures. So he says, and why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Yea, why should I give way to temptations that the evil one have placed on my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? Why am I angry because of mine enemy? And then 28, awake my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. That that part that you read, that has always, ever since I read it as a as an older teenager when I was really into it, that part really resonated with why am I angry because of mine enemy? Do not anger against, do not anger again because of mine enemies. Why am I angry? I'm angry because people don't like me. Well, that's not my fault. I shouldn't be angry for that. And that's always something I've tried to apply in my life. Why am I angry because they don't like me? Who cares? I'm doing the right thing. Nephi's doing the right thing. He needs to focus on his family doing the right thing and if someone hates him for it then that's on them i think that's really good that's really good it shows you how strong of a person that he is to recognize that and to live his life that way and he goes on and on may the gates of hell be shut continually before me he says and then he goes on oh lord i have trusted in thee and i will trust in thee forever yeah look a great wrap-up of of chapter four it is it is and when I think of the Book of Mormon, when I think of the stories of the Book of Mormon, I think of Nephites and I think of Lamanites. And chapter 5 is really that separation of the two. In verse 3, he talks. He basically says, now, now that you know Lehi is dead, now that his father's dead, Laman and Lemuel have stepped up and gone, we're going to be the rulers. We're not going to listen to our younger brother anymore. Our younger brother says that he wants to rule against us, but all of these bad things have happened. So really in verse 3, that's when they've gone, I'm taking over now. I'm going to be the ruler over this family and all of these people. And I think it's funny in verse 4, you can tell that 
Nephi isn't writing this the same day. Because he says, I do not write upon these plates all the words which they murmured against me, but it sufficeth me to say that they did seek to take away my life. In summary, they tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but whatever. <laughs> whatever, exactly. So you can tell this must be ages after, because there's no way he's just writing it. Oh yeah, they said some horrible things. Oh yeah, and they, they wanted to kill me. It's just yeah, in passing. Yeah, side note. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so this is really, truly, in my mind, this is where the stories separate. We had so much about this one family, their travels to the new world. And this is really where the stories of the Lamanites versus the Nephites really start. So Nephi is told in a vision that, or the Lord's warned him in a vision, that his brothers are going to try and kill him and that he needs to leave. He needs to take the people with him and he needs to leave. And he takes um, Zoram and a whole bunch of them, right? He, does yeah, he kind of right. just leave? He just leaves kind of Laman and Lemuel, their kids, their family, Ishmael's well, he- sons, and that's it. Yeah, he does specify who he says. He took Zoram, who we've talked about a few times, and I'm sure Zoram's got a great story if he ever kept a journal. But he took Zoram and his family, Sam and his family, Jacob, Joseph. He says that he took his sisters with him as well. And then it's sisters really, don't often get a mention, do they? They don't often get a mention, no. But we did talk about in, I think it was the second episode, that it's possible that Ishmael was already interrelated into the family, intermarried into the family somehow. And I wonder if this is possibly them. Um, But again, we don't really know. There isn't much talked about it. But I think it's interesting in the next part, he says, and all those who would go with me. So he's actually already specified all those that went with him pertaining to his family. But then he says, and all those who would go with me. And I wonder who he's talking about there. I've been looking into this and there's, we our best guess for where the boat landed in the New World was the shores or the coast of Guatemala. That's where we're pretty positive that that's where they landed. And now, and that that and and reaffirming that best guess, you know, the church does say, you know, we don't want people to like we don't you know we don't want people to teach that. But in terms of the context of the Book of Mormon, there's lots of evidence out there, and there's lots of great people doing a lot of great work. That's right, exactly. And, and kind of this is where where it could lead to yeah exactly and so there's a lot of books out there by church members that talk about these places and there's one in particular that i just got my hands on recently actually called the great civilizations and the book of mormon and that talks about there that there's evidence that in that land of guatemala there was people there 200 years before lehi's family ever made it there the archaeological right. survey of the coast of Guatemala deals with sites dated from 200 years earlier that had settlements ranging from one household to 12 households. Well, it does say, I've got that written, Clive, in my scriptures when it references verse 28, which I don't want to skip us ahead too much, but it does say, in 30 years had passed away from the time we left Jerusalem. And I've got here that scholars believe Nephi met lots of people. Oh, my handwriting's awful. Scholars believe Nephi met lots of people in the land as they achi- they achieved quite a lot. So there must have been a lot of people there. A few years ago, I don't know if you remember, but I tried to chart out the Bible and I did pretty well charting out the generations of the Bible and who begat who and how it all came together. And then I tried to do the Book of Mormon and there were so many people that just sprung up that I don't know where they came from. Again, I sort of, I guess that sort of fits in with what they're saying and what you're saying. There's people 
must have been around in that time. So then Nephi takes whomever these people may be, plus all of his family, and they flee for many days. They decide at that point that these people that are with Nephi, they're going to call themselves the people of Nephi. Right. Because Nephi is the leader, like we've talked about before. He is the prophet. He's the one, the chosen one to be the leader. And so they decide that they're going to call themselves the people of Nephi. And they, they tell them, they, they say that they're in the place of Nephi as well. That's right. And then they call the place, the place, yeah, Nephi. So, so really, we are, yeah, the, the suburb is Nephi and we are the people of Nephi. Later on, they do change the name to Lehi-Nephi. That's later on, but it's it's that place that they're talking about. And it's interesting as well because so he takes his family and he takes all these people, but then he specifies some things that he does take with him. He does take with him plates, the, the brass plates. He takes with him the Leahona, and he must take a lot of farming stuff with them too, or at least they are there and they do a lot of farming. So then he also talks about how he takes the sword of Laban. Now he takes the sword of Laban because he says that He's worried and he starts calling these people now Lamanites. So the people that followed Laman, he calls them the Lamanites. They're worried that they might come and try and attack them, try and go to war with them. So he takes the sword of Laban and he uses that to make other swords. So which we did talk about a few episodes ago, the importance of the sword of Laban and how it's always going to keep popping up. And it, it was such a great thing that he was able to copy that to make these weapons of war. What about Nephi being a blacksmith, which we spoke about multiple episodes ago? This this next verse here, 15, he takes on the responsibility of teaching people metalwork and woodwork. He says, and I did and I did teach my people to build buildings and to work in, and then he says, all manner of wood, iron, copper, brass, steel, gold, silver, and precious ores all of which were in great abundance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Nephi made a boat, but it was guided, you know, very closely by the Lord of how he should make it. And this is another thing here that people use as evidence that there probably was other people there at the time, because he says, I did teach my people. Now, yeah, we did talk about how Nephi was possibly a blacksmith, but we know that he was definitely handy. He made that bow after his bow broke, his really beautiful bow that he made. Yep. So he is handy. So I have read some articles where they talk about that Nephi was probably really a fast learner and he learned how to build these things from the natives that were already there and that he was able to then show his people, all right, this is how we build it. I've learned it and I'm going to show you this is how we build these things. He does then go on to build a temple, which we talked about Lehi a few episodes ago, Lehi as soon as he had left Jerusalem, he built an altar to the Lord because, you know, he was able to. Yeah, that, well, that was the first thing that he does. He, he built an altar and gave thanks. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's sort of Nephi's idea. All right, I've settled with my people now. What I want to do is I want to make a temple. And he made this temple and he made it copying Solomon's temple, which we'll talk a lot about when we talk about the Old Testament. There's a lot with Solomon's temple. And he does specify that Solomon's temple is really beautiful, and but there's a lot of things in there that he, that he can't find. He says, Save it were not built of many precious things, for they could not be found upon this land. So although he had a lot of things on hand, 
just the things of Solomon's temple were just incredible and he just yeah. couldn't make it exactly. So he essentially but, tries to make it after the manner of the temple, but he couldn't get it as close as he wanted to because there just wasn't the appropriate, there just wasn't the same resources as there would have been in the in Arabia, essentially. Exactly. His people, they to become an industrial people basically and they labor hard and they build these cities and then they want nephi to be king and nephi refuses he doesn't want to be king he doesn't want anyone actually to be king because he can see the corruption i, I think this is probably what he's saying that he can see the corruption with his brothers if one person is in charge so he doesn't want one person to rule over and make these decisions so then he decides well, I think, I think again there, Clive, I just, just butt in for a second. I think this is further evidence of just how many people actually were there in the, in the place they called Nephi. It couldn't have been just Sam and their kids because there's no way that they would have said, Nephi, you're going to now be a king. They weren't taught that way from their father and it wasn't in them culturally to say, yes, we now, now we're here, we need to get a king. That influence must have come from a large mass of other people where it was so large that it caught Nephi's attention and someone's approached him and said, hey, you need to be the king. That's a really good point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we all got together, I wouldn't say, Daniel, you're king now. Yeah. yeah so there must have been a lot of people there. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Well, we can. We, we can put that out in our family group chat. <laughs> okay. Well, next time it comes up, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll suggest it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's interesting as well, because now we look at America as it is, and they don't have a king. There's a lot of countries out there that do have a king and a ruler, that one particular person. But And it was Nephi, right, who gets shown that in the future, he, that's right, because it's Nephi who sees essentially Columbus. He sees symbolically someone coming over the land, and he gets told that this isn't going to be a land that's going to have a king. And the immediate thing that happens is, oh, do you want to be king? I imagine that lessons come back to him of, well, first of all, Nephi wouldn't have been king. It's not in him. Culturally, it's not in his family to be a king. And straight away he knows, no, actually, I don't need to take this burden on because the Lord's already told me that's just not, that just doesn't happen here. And it just, and it never did. You know, when we read through the scriptures, it, it was never, it was judges. It was a group of people that made decisions. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting now that it cuts over back to, the Lamanites. Now, the Lamanites, they were so wicked at this stage. And now it doesn't go into detail of the wicked things that they had done, but they must have got to a point where they were so wicked because the Lord gives them a curse. And it's probably the worst curse that he gives someone. Because he says here, Inasmuch as they will not hearken unto my words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. So, so the worst, the absolute worst thing that could have happened, they've just been cut off completely. And this is in line with the blessing that Lehi gave to Laman and Lemuel's kids. That's exactly right. It is perfectly in line with it. And, you know, so, so from that point on, because of the things of Laman and Lemuel and because of their wickedness, and they will learn later that they will teach their children, not false doctrine, but false things. False they'll, they'll, idols, right? Yeah, well, they'll talk about how Nephi was a wicked person and, and wants to destroy their family. And Nephi was a just a complete bad guy. So they will start telling their family all these lies about the Nephites and the people of Nephi, you know, and it will just spiral from there just exactly as Lehi prophesied it would. 
but because you know the parents are the ones spreading these lies the children unfortunately they have to take on this this burden as well so being cut off from the presence of the lord that essentially means that there'll be no priesthood no blessings you know the lord the spirit of the lord just you know it will be a, abide with them but there'll be no baptism there'll be no holy ghost it's a massive massive thing to not be able to have the lord says you know to distinguish the people that have this cursing i will put a mark on them essentially and and the mark that he says lord god did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them so he's set this mark upon them so nephi and his posterity know who it is that's been cut off from the lord's presence but it's not the first time that the lord uses this mark to show the people who have been cut off later on we'll talk about moses when we look at the pillar of great price and and the, in the old testament but ham you know he right yeah ham ham and his posterity same thing you know they were cut off from the lord's presence i mean it, it's very simple to say that ham uncovered his father's nakedness but there's more to it than that which we'll get into later but that's essentially what happened to him he was cursed from that point and his children and they were given the same markings to distinguish them from from everyone else Cain, when he killed abel he doesn't specify what his marking was but i can i mean i'm gonna assume that it was probably the same sort of thing he was cursed and he was given a marking as well and in the book of Josephus, which we've talked about before, um, it does talk about in there that Cain and his posterity had that cursing. It doesn't actually talk about it in the Bible, but Josephus mentions it. So it's not a new thing to happen to be given this mark to show who these people are. The Lord really wanted to separate and say, these are the, the wicked ones that have been cut off from my presence, and these are the ones that aren't. So in verse 25, the Lord then tells nephi that the lamanites will continue to come at the people of nephi and i think it's really interesting there what he says he says the lord said unto me they shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up to remembrance they will keep coming at the nephites and why will the lord allow that right throughout their seed right throughout their seed yeah and we see it we when we read about it and it's true they every time that i feel like the people of nephi sort of get comfortable yes. and start forgetting about the lord the lamanites come and they start to fight and then the nephites remember the lord again and go be merciful on us or you know the lord has blessed us and, and they sort of come back around again well it's almost like the the cycle of pride that we learned a little bit about that yeah you're right in what you're saying that the nephites do they 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 do occasionally get comfortable and things are going okay and then the lamanites come back and sometimes they're they're enslaved they set taxes and they do need to remember the remember god in this i do find it interesting because in this case the lord could easily say well, we're going to cut them off somehow and I'm going to keep my righteous people over here because I need them to continue in the land and the wicked people can be over here and they can just live separately and I'll just make it live separately. But actually, the Lord isn't interfering in that way. He knows them well and he knows the seed well enough and he knows us as people well enough that we do have dips. We do, we do have peaks and troughs in our testimony and sometimes things come around that help us rethink our testimony and get ourselves back into gear so nephi now is now he's established houses and he's established a temple he's now trying to establish some order i wonder if he calls jacob and joseph more as presidents and says all right you go and teach the people 
and then you go and find teachers. You be in charge of the land. Like, you know, the Sunday school president is in charge of the congregation of, and then, you know, they assigns teachers. And I wonder if that's sort of the same thing. If there's that many people that they've got to preach to, or they've got to teach the word. So they certainly get some kind of authority. A really interesting point. I just like that, that now Nephi is really starting to build up this place into something that it needs to be and to get everyone together so that they can start worshiping God. And I'm imagining that the people that, that they're living with, these people who aren't part of their family, they need to start teaching those people the gospel and getting those people understanding what their plight of the Nephites will be in the coming generations. That's right. And, and as you said, 30 years had passed from the time that we left Jerusalem. And then he has a few verses there where he talks about the plates that he's made to record the plates that he's he, that yep. we're reading from and then 34 only a few verses later and it suffices me to say that 40 years had passed away so now suddenly another 10 years had gone by and they were obviously thriving you know there was no destruction there was no you know wickedness that really was noteworthy that he read today he did say though and we had already had wars and contentions with our brethren so, so who's the brethren? Is that Lamanites, or do you think that's internal? Because it doesn't know. say. It does, I mean, I, I would, I would, uh, this, I would assume that the first time the Lamanites try to invade, let's say, the Nephites, or try to persuade them in another way, that's pretty noteworthy, and that might have said, you know, yeah, yeah, brethren, the Lamanites came across or something. But in this case, there'd been some wars and contentions with our brethren. So is that the people that they were with, you know, this, this, this group of people that were already on the land, was there some issue, was there some internal issues in terms of where whatever culturally that they had already had set up in the promised land versus what Nephi was bringing, bringing to the table in this, this version of Christianity? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, like you said, it really should be, it, you really think it would be a noteworthy situation. Then the Lamanites have come to attack us. But he just says, with our brethren. And just reading it, and, you know, just the scriptures, just reading through, you would just automatically think, all right, they fought with the Lamanites. But yeah, as he said, once you look into a bit more, you do wonder if it's between them. Because if 30 years had passed since they left Jerusalem, and there was already thousands of people, you imagine another 10 years on top of that, how many right. more people would be born and grow up, and how many more people they would have converted. So... Yeah, how many more people they need to feed? How many yeah. more crops, houses? Because he's not saying that's, that's a lot. we're a utopian society, we're the city of Enoch. You right. know, there must have been some contentions amongst themselves. As a normal civilization has. And that's that's the three chapters that we were talking about today. It's, it's it seemed to just fly by. It has... It has a bit of a weird ending. Yeah. A bit of a strange ending on this one. Next week, we're back to the normal sort of four chapters, and we're, we're chapter 6 to, through to chapter 10. So there's a, lot, there's a lot in there. Jacob has a big say in the next part, and something that I've got written down here is potentially the first conference of the church. So great. be great to, um, be great to look at that. Do you, have a, do you have a quote to end us with, Clive? Are we finishing I do, actually. Quote? It's from Spencer W. Kimball, and he's talking about after reading the Book of Mormon. He says, as I finished it, I closed the book and sat back, absorbed as I relived its contents. Its pages held me, 
bound me and my eyes were riveted to them. I knew the book was factual. My beloved friends, I give to you the Book of Mormon. May you read it prayerfully, study it carefully, and receive for yourselves the testimony of its divinity. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us on another episode. If you could hi to Colob, look out for us on social media and we'll continue to post. Hopefully you're getting a lot out of this year's Book of Mormon curriculum and you're expanding your testimony and your, your knowledge at the same time. Thanks for joining us.